Welcome to the Interest in Health and Safety podcast, making health and safety as important as everything else we do in business. Hi, it's Colin Nottage here, and welcome to the Interest in Health and Safety podcast. Today, I am joined by Kevin Furness. Um, Kevin, uh, until recently, has been heading up the uh, health and safety department within uh, Maersk uh, Shipping, you know, probably the world's largest uh, container shipping organisation. And it's a really, really interesting uh, insight into into what it's like working in a in a business like that. Hey, I'm going to uh, hand over to Kevin now. Kevin, um, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Um, you know, I really no problem. I really appreciate you taking time out your out your busy diary. Could you just um um just give us a bit of an insight in in in, in who you are and uh, you know and what you do? Okay, um, I guess that I've I've been a, a safety professional by choice all my career. So I've been doing it for thirty three years now, on and off. And um, I've worked internationally for a lot of different organisations. Had the the fantastic opportunity to work in a lot of different countries, a lot of different cultures, at trying to you know really make the world of work a safer and healthier place to be. I guess that's uh, that sort of comes from from my remit. I'm currently working for the global shipping organisation. Molomersk, um, the largest containerized shipping company in the world, um, and I'm based in Denmark. Uh, we have 77,000 employees. Um, we shift about 12 million containers a year on our vessels, um, and another probably 40 million containers through our network of, network of ports and terminals around the world. Wow! I mean, that is a that is a that's a big big setup. Um, yeah. You know, so you you know you you'll have a uh, you'll have a pretty big team working working with you then how does it uh, yeah how does that work out well in, in the center we're very light there's only there's only eight of us um, in, in, in if you like the corporate team because most of the the, the real work goes on as we know out out, out in the uh, at the sharp end so within each of our brands and we have brands like Merst line um, AP Moller terminals we have Spitzer we have Damco we have Merst um, container industry so within each of those brands there's there's a local team as well and, and they're the, the, the team that really do the real work um, my team is more strategic, more, if you like, design and develop in terms of new thinking, new view on safety, whatever you want to call it, in terms of whether you call it safety too, safety differently, HOP, whatever you want to call it, then my team is, is, uh, is really put together to help understand the theory, help understand the rationale and turn that into something that the brand teams can then go and say, right, yeah, I understand that from a Maersk perspective, what that means in reality for the people working out there and how to make it almost come off the page, as it were, and actually start to, to, to live it in, uh, in, in their normal daily lives at the very, very sharp end of the stick. Mm. That's um that's 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 really interesting. I mean, when did you when did you really sort of start to sort of get get involved in the in the sort of safety safety two safety differently sort of idea? Um, I guess if if you go if you go a long way back, then um, an ex colleague of mine, a guy who um, I still we still have a very close connection today, John Green. John Green and I were at Lang O'Rourke together and before that mm-hmm. at, um, at what was um, you know, the former Alfred McAlpine many, many years ago. But John and I have always had this view that something was wrong with what we were doing because it didn't matter how good we were or how brilliant we became at doing the things that we'd always done, we sort of plateaued and, and, and some things never improved. And it was like, 
what the heck are we doing wrong? And then um, when John, I, I was at the working at the London 2012 Olympics at the time, and John went out to, to Brisbane in Australia for Lang. And that's when he started to come across this sort of, this new thinking and, and, and met Sidney Decker and Daniel Hummerdahl and, and people like that and got influenced by the guys in Griffith. And we started to talk around, this is, this is what we've been talking about. This is what we've been thinking about. And I remember back in 2014, I, I left Vodafone at that point and uh, I joined Maersk and we had um, a meeting in Dubai of just of my sort of, if you like, my, my new team of eight to 10 people. And we invited, I invited John along just to do, um, you know, an hour about what is this whole thing about new view. And that was probably, you know, the, the first time we started to enact it. But involvement with it, I would say, yeah, we're probably going back to, to, to late Olympics time before I left. So it's probably about eight or nine years, Colin, if I'm honest, that I've been thinking about it. Practically doing it in a... In, in a real way that makes a difference, probably for the last six years. I um, you know, I've had some, I've had some really interesting chats with people doing the doing the podcast. I've actually got John on um in a couple of weeks' time. Um, so mm. I'm really, really looking forward to meeting up with him and having a having a chat with him. And uh, he's know, always again. good value, John. John, John is John is my again my one of my closest confidants when it comes to thought leadership in this space mm. from people who are practically doing it. So yeah, he's a good guy. And I think, you know, when I think one of the things that I suppose, you know, what I've reflected on when I've looked back at my, uh, you know, sort of back at my safety career, I think there's, there's been lots of things that we've that, that been trying to do well that, that didn't always really get why, you know, and I think, you know, this, yeah. this safety differently really, I don't know, I mean, do you feel that it sort of just brings it, just brings it together and, you know, and starts and gives you, just gives you a, an, an approach to take that, that's, you know, that engagement that is, that, that becomes effective. I mean, what do you take? What's your view on that? I think we got lost on the safety journey um, somewhere and I don't quite know where because safety for me has always been a people subject, right? Mm -hmm. uh, people at the heart. The reason we do it, the reason we, we join this profession or decide to, to, to come into this is because, you know, we, we have this inner belief inside us that morally it's, it's not right for people to, to get hurt or killed just, just to come to work to, uh, to add value to shareholders and everything else. Um, but I think somewhere along the way, Colin, then that got turned into a bureaucratic, administrative, technical-based subject that people were on the periphery of. And I think what New View does, whichever form it takes, it starts to actually say, hang on a minute, this is about people. Why don't we put people back at the center? We've always heard the rhetoric, you know, that, that you go through organizations about, oh, people are our most valuable asset and, you know, um, you know safety is our most important priority and all, all the rubbish that sort of trips off of people's lips now and again. Um, and, and I think we forgot the true value of, of, of what a life is and, and what people are to, to organizations. This approach is different. This approach says this is not about more procedures. It's not about rules. It's not about having people who are a problem to manage. It's also, it's always about the organization failing the individual. Whereas previously, I think in my own view uh, and my own, you know, my own experience, I believe that we have sort of said the organization is perfect. It's the people that can't deal with it. Mm. It's so, you know, it's so often seen you know when you when you look at documents and you look at in incident investigations and 
you know, and, and, you know, and I hate, I hate those words, <laughs> you know, by the way, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, um, you know, but it's, it's, it's so easy to blame that individual and, you know, and, and it's, and you don't gain anything from it. There's absolutely, there's nothing gained from apportioning blame, you know, to an individual. And you've, you've, you've just got to, you've just got to look at, at, at what is the, you know, or really, I suppose, how have we got to this situation, you know, rather than, but, you know, sorry, yeah. go on. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, I, I agree with you, but I think it's, you know, it's a difficult concept for people to get their head around because it's very satisfying. And I use that word, um, you know, in inverted commas, because sometimes when things go wrong, mostly in life, society wants to, you know, pin that on somebody. Somebody didn't do what they were supposed to, the government, the company, the police, you know, the, uh, the workers, the union guys, whoever it might be. It's very satisfying to point a finger and go, it wasn't me, it was them. And that's, that, that's a terrible thing and affliction almost of, 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 of human nature. And, and that, that, that sort of behavior gets transferred into the workplace. And, and I believe that, you know, that there's a lot of uh, boards and a lot of senior leaders and a lot of organizations out there that do feel justified and have some sense of, you know, um, if you like, justification for blaming people. And it's still the way that they work today. That, you know, if only people would do this and people are stupid, right? And if we could only control them better, we wouldn't have half the problems. Mm. That's a real problem for me because um, I, I absolutely do not, do not prescribe to that. I can't support it and I, I can't condone it. And I, I will not engage in conversations with people who have that belief because mm. I am tired of hearing it, right? And, and so, yeah, you know, people have said I've been, I, I've been called iconoclastic uh, by a number of magazine articles and editors over the time, but I just won't entertain it because it's like, you know what, you, you, you're still tripping out the same verbiage, the same stuff, the same things you've been pushing for the last 20 years, and we're saturated with it, and it's not helping us, and it's not making the world of work a safer place. You know, innovation happens in every other part of business and life and, 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 and society. Why do we keep persisting in thinking that we can use safety tools, techniques, and, and approaches that are now, in some cases, some cases, 20, 30, 40 years old, thinking that they can solve the problems of the world of work today? So when you go in, you know, go into the businesses, you know, you've worked in some, you've worked in some really impressive companies in your, you know, in your career. <laughs> Thanks. You know, but no, you know, I mean, you know, it, it does make really, really great reading. I mean, how do you... How do you go then about about engaging? Because I'm, I'm assuming that you get, you know it's about engaging with the senior management team to you know to to get their to get their their view and and get, I suppose working on their values and that, and that kind of thing. How does it how does it work? Um, I think let, let let me be honest. I I think the first thing that safety the first mistake that I learned that that I was making was that if you go to the top straight away you end up with a top-down approach because right. you will easily convince because they've hired you, they yep. want to believe you, they want to make this happen because they're not want to waste the money that they've invested in you bringing you in. So if you go to the top straight away and do this and tell them what you're going to do, then you, you have that power and you have that ability um, and, and you're going to get a top-down approach. Mm -hmm. What I tended to do and still do is, is spend time out looking at work in reality, looking at the challenges of, what organizations did you know and that's where I said I've managed to in my career be fortunate to be paid to see the world by some of my employers which is a fantastic thing although most of it ended up being um, hotels offices uh, workplaces and, and, uh, and airports mm. but to engage with the people doing the work 
you know, and then they, they don't know you from, from, from anyone else, right? You're a complete stranger to them. Uh, and I, I would tell people, please don't introduce me as the new health and safety guy, right? Or the, just introduce me as Kevin. This is Kevin. He's, he just wants to know about what you do, right? He works for the company, but, you know, it, it doesn't matter. He's nobody important. And, and start to engage and understand the challenges of the business in daily life. And then build a picture almost from the bottom rather than the top. And then take that bottom view up to the very top and say, how many of you recognize this? And they go, well, this is wrong and that's wrong and we shouldn't be doing that. So, well, guys, this is the world of work. This is the reality. These are the challenges that the people who create your value have to deal with every day. Mm. And, you know, you are way removed from that. And you have skills and you bring value to this organization, absolutely. But at the end of the day, you need to better understand what goes on. So in terms of engagement, that, that's how I would approach it. I would go out to the very bottom first. And my wife thought, and my daughter, I remember a story right, with, with my daughter. I'd been away. I think I was working for, uh, it was probably Cadbury Schweppes at the time in the, uh, in, in, in the early 2000s. My daughter was um, an eight, nine or 10 years old at the time. And I'd been on business trips and been away and she'd been at her grandparents and whatever. And I, I walked on, onto our drive. The taxi dropped me off at the bottom of, of my drive. I, I walked onto my, my front garden and my daughter was playing outside. It was the summertime. She was playing outside the front garden. She looked up, screamed and ran into the house and said, mummy, mummy, there's a strange man on the garden. You know, and and that, that's the sort of sacrifices sometimes you have to make because I had spent that much time out in the business, understanding the world, visiting factories, visiting warehouses, you know, working in, 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 in with my, my, my jeans on and my T-shirts, actually working with these guys to see what it was like for real. And only that way then could I bring a convincing message, a non-theoretical ideological message back to the leadership that said, I've been there. I've, I've been in that factory. I've packed those boxes, right? I've watched the girls and guys actually, you know, build those masts, whether it was Vodafone, to build those cars, to dig those trenches and utilities. I've actually stood there with them while they've been doing it and seen what the challenges they have firsthand and how the procedure doesn't work or why there are more rules is not going to help us. And I think then you get, you get a certain different level of credibility with your, 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 you know, your, your executive leadership team. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, it's about getting, it's about getting them out. It's about getting them out into the, into the workplace to, to learn and to understand in the way that you have. And I think that's right. Um, and the first thing we did in a lot of companies, every organization that I've worked in, um, it wasn't like they were, you know, they didn't have anything. They weren't starting from ground zero. They, they often had, um, reasonable starting points. Oh yes, we go out and we do site inspections or we go out, leadership go out and they do management tours. And they, they're basically, so, so, you know, you go out and ask the people, what do you think of the management tours? Who's this? And they go, no idea. Right. And then they go, what did he do? I oh, walked around, he did this, they did that. Then they went away. He said, what value did you get out of it? No. No, they stood up, did a town hall, did a few slides, said, thank you very much. Asked for any questions. There weren't any, walked out. Right. And, and we've got to the point where, and I, I, I can't remember who coined this phrase, but it's absolutely true. And um, I think I'm going back a long time, but, you know, we were in safety. We got too busy doing the work of safety and not actually making work safe. And we we basically were a self-fulfilling prophecy and, you know, full of our own self-importance as safety people and, and really, you know, 
making sure that we kept our job alive and you know, we, we got a job to go to tomorrow. And, and, and we were almost the architects of, of, of our own downfall in that respect. So stopping things that don't add any value to me is crucial. And leadership, credibility, and safety, and trust. And that, don't underestimate that word, trust. Workers generally distrust management, period, whichever organization you're in. That's the fundamental starting point. And I don't care whether you're unionized, non-unionized, there is a, almost a distrust because the way that work is handed out is almost told to you. You do this, you do that, you do the other. Just get it done. Don't tell me about all the problems and challenges you have because I'm way too busy to listen to you. And so how you go about rebuilding trust is, uh, is, is important because just by going out and showing up is no longer enough. People know you're coming, right? And it's like you're ticking boxes, right? It's tokenism in my life. What I talk about and, and I've talked a lot about is a passive engagement, going, leaders going out and, and actually um, having zero credibility with the workforce and going out and ticking a box and filling in a scorecard and meeting their objectives that somebody's handed down to them or been advised by their safety department that they should go and do four safety walks a year and things like that. It adds no credibility for them. It builds no trust and it doesn't help um, the people in the organization feel that they're valued and cared about. So a lot of the things that, that I've done in the past when, when to trying to get people out of that mindset is just stop doing things, right? And, and, and see what happens. And, and the, most of the reaction is, but it's on my scorecard. I need to do that. I need to do that. And I said, hang on, I don't need, you don't need to do anything, right? You can choose not to do that, right? What is the driver behind it? Is the driver then, because you need to do it, the fact that you care about the workers and the people, you want to help them have a healthier and safer place to work. Or do you care about the fact that by not achieving your scorecard, you're going to miss out on 10% of your annual bonus? Mm. And you, know, you have those sort of closed door individual conversations. And, and honestly, you, you have to have, you know, kahunas. You've got to have a bit of courage to go and do that with people because you are at that point as a, almost a crusader holding up the mirror and telling them the truth. And I'll tell you, in my experience, you know, I've been kicked out of so many offices because I told, I've held up there and told people the truth. And then eventually, after you know, three or four days of avoiding me, they come back and go, mm, do you know what? You might have been a bit right about that. I'm not saying you're 100% right, but you're a bit right about why I was doing it. And I, and I think that's, that's the problem we have, Colin, with, with, with our running on rail safety systems, right? We, we're, we're, we're turning a wheel and we're just going around the same old, same old stuff. And at some point, we have, to, we have to stop that. We have to jump off that wheel and, and, and go somewhere else. And I think, you know, I mean, what you spoke about there, I think is such an important, an important asset of a, of a person is, is reflection. You know, and it's been able to, to just, just, just take, take, I don't know if it's, I don't know if criticism is right, take a, an opinion and, uh, and, and mull it around and then do something positive with it. And, and I would like to, you know, you know, when we, when we, talk with our our management team about getting out into the workplace you know one of the things i like to say to them is just like, as you as you walk away from that individual how do you think they felt about you <laughs> you know and if they and if they thought that you you were a bit of a plonker <laughs> then you haven't done anything positive you know you haven't you you've taken you've taken you've taken the business backwards a step 
Whereas if they actually yeah. feel, you know, if they feel that it was a positive interaction, then you've moved the business forward. And that's what it's about. Yeah. And, and you're absolutely right. And this is where this whole trust, because, you know, people will only believe you if they trust you, right? And, and the whole cycle of trust, belief, and, and then, you know, motivation and action, they're, they're all connected. Mm. And, and so leaders, you know, have to really understand um, what, what their role and purpose is. And, and there's, there's some great things. I was fortunate enough to be in, um, in, in California um, last year, and, and I, I was with a, a group of guys from, from Exxon, uh, sorry, not Exxon, from Chevron. Apologies, David, um, if you're listening. Uh, and they invited the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, um, the, the shine guys in and, and talked about, you know, humble leadership and how leadership needed to change and what it was fascinated with was no longer relevant in this world of work today and what we needed. And, you know, Edgar Shine sat there and, crikey, the guy's, you know, a living legend, but he's, he's almost 90 years old, right? And he's still got the appetite for this. And you can see him, the passion come out of his, his, his whole body when he talks about how, how leaders need to change. And this guy's, you know, he, he's, he's been through almost nine decades of, of his life, and yet he's still in that space going, leaders still are in this world of telling people what to do. And instead of serving the people that are around them and listening. And, and that's a big challenge for a lot of leaders because most leaders, you know, they elevate themselves. They, they, they climb the, uh, the corporate ladder or, or the world of work ladder based upon most of the time, knowledge, experience and performance delivery because mm-hmm. they've got the most knowledge, because they've done the best things, they've done that. People are never promoted to CEOs because they, they're brilliant at empathy or mm-hmm. you know they, um, they, they, their emotional intelligence score is off the charts mm-hmm. they're normally promoted to ceo level because they've delivered extraordinary business results based on finance shareholder return or something else and while ever you get that as as the main reward you know i don't think we're ever going to get to the levels of um social interaction of emotional intelligence and and and, and you know, this, this whole change in behavior that we're looking for from leaders. So I, I think it's really critical that we should start to train and educate leaders from a very early age in a different way. And yeah, okay, they do need to know about, you know, governance and business administration and things like that. But, you know, to me, that is almost 10 to 15% of their agenda now. If, they, if we were to turn, turn that round and focus 80% on how to support and actually serve the working population that, that you're at the top of in, in that pyramid, then you'd get a lot more out of the organization that you're working for. And I think that, that um, you know, having that empathy and having that understanding, I mean, that, 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 that those traits go, go right the way down through the management team, you know, because, because, because you're all leaders, aren't you? Just at different levels and, you know, and being able to, uh, you know, being able to apply those, those, those ideas, I think is, you know, it's, it's just, it's just so fundamental. From a, what, what do you think, what do you think, how do you think health and safety professionals need to be, need to be trained differently? I mean, because there's, you know, cause we've, we've got a lot of, uh, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of a, a meal, isn't there, that, that people go through, you know, and, you know, where, where, where do you think, where do you think we need to go, go with that? I think it needs a fundamental reboot. Um, and, the, you know, we, we are as guilty as organisations because, if we want change, we have to, you know, you know, be the change we want to be. We have to start with the transformation somewhere. And yet, you know, we've we've got we, we've got a, a position where we're still educating and putting people through a qualification, which is a very effective qualification, by the way, in terms of knowledge element. 
but it doesn't teach them the stuff that they really need to know about how business works today. In essence, one could argue that you know we are we've we've been guilty of doing the same thing that I've just criticising business of for the last forty years. That you know I I don't know if I was to measure today you know um, the changes let's say in the Nibosh diploma today versus the Nibosh diploma I did way back when in the in the late eighties right. I don't think you'd find significant deviation or variation. I think the core elements of what that qualification has been about um, was brilliant and, and helped us and helped us gain a foothold in the profession for 30 years. And what I think now is that it needs, it needs to move a little bit with the times. And there's still a market for people who want that, absolutely. But if we're going to make this 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 transformation uh, and we're going to be continue to be relevant and supportive and helpful and valued to the organizations who want us to work with them um, then we're going to have to remain relevant and we are in danger of you know, becoming irrelevant because the stuff we got is out of touch with uh, the way business thinks today mm-hmm. so I, I think we need to think about how we how we educate i mean yes there's always technical elements of stuff but it predominates the learning that, that safety professionals um, have to go through. And I'm just a big advocate of, of this change and say, you know, don't throw it away. I'm not saying it's wrong. What I'm saying is they need more. They need more than the technical skills. They need more to know more about um, the, than, than just the, the legal system and the way things hang together and, and what employees' responsibilities are. They need to understand people better. They need to understand business better. They need to understand how to be effective and just reading, you know, reading Redgraves, if it's still around or, or actually, you know, going through and getting your advice and support from, from people who've done this for 30 years is often it's helpful, but it shouldn't be your only source. So my, my, my sort of advice to all mentors that I have, and I have a few um, who are in the different stages of their career is, you know, step out of that comfort zone. Stretch yourself a little bit and go and do something different. Go and learn about marketing. Go and learn about communication. Go and learn about what makes people tick. Go and do some psychology. And, and I think from that, you get a better understanding of how business functions, how people function, and then the context in which you're operating becomes clearer. Mm. You know, if you can get, um, you know, I, I chatted to a guy called, um, called Simon Bowen. Who is um, who's over at Docklands Light Railway at the moment, and um, and we had a really interesting chat, and, and you know, and he's you know he he's almost stopped calling his people health and safety people, you know, and they're now you know enablers and you know and, and, and you know supporting learning and you know and that's that's the terminology, and, and I think a big part of this is about changing the way we talk, you know, and, and bringing in you know bringing in that right terminology. Yeah, in my team, in actually, I agree with Simon a lot, right? And I think if you look at my team in the corporate center at Maersk, I have a behavioral psychologist, I have a learning and development specialist, I have somebody who's brilliant at um, innovation and creativity, so a sort of, if you like, a digital artist, so to speak. Um, I've got a researcher, a market researcher who understands people, I've got one technical safety expert. And I've got two sort of general managers who are coaches that go and help support implementation. We're not full of, you know, safety professionals because that's not what we need at that level. We're designers and developers 
right? And I think Simon's absolutely right. And I totally agree with him um, because people need to see us as enabling something else to happen. And we don't do it just by calling people the old, old, old um, um, job titles and names. I, I don't think it's very helpful either. And when you, you know, when you actually, you know, what you're talking about there, you know, about, you know, about, you know, design and, you know, and interaction and communication, God, it's so much more interesting than, yeah. than going and doing a risk assessment. God, it is, yeah. I remember, I mean, um, working with um, James Usher from, from Douglas Stewart a lot on this and the organisational design of, of my team. And, and James and I, I used James as a sounding board and um, we, we, we mulled over a few ideas around organisational design. And, and, you know, the inspiration that, that he brought from looking at this from a non-safety perspective was invaluable in terms of saying, why do you want that role? Why do you need two safety people? Why are you not doing that? What, what's the rationale? And it was just gave us something different to look at and when we built the organization we built it knowing from 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 one position we ended up with something you know completely different so i had this fixed view and if i hadn't have taken counsel of somebody who wasn't a safety person but actually knew something about organizational design and then challenged my own thinking and asking what are you trying to achieve with this what are you trying to learn what's what are you trying to know about what are you trying to design and then that's where that, that opportunity to use people outside of our profession to come in and, and help us and influence us. And so often, and I think you, you'll probably, you, you're probably nodding at this one, said, we only tend to look internally within the, the, our own profession for, you know, what are you doing? It's like copy paste. We don't tend to take inspiration. And, and I got to go back to John and, and say this, you know, the first time I saw that happen was in Lang O'Rourke when John took, um, a colleague from Lang O'Rourke who was in, I think it was either commercial or marketing and brought them into the safety team. And I thought, that's never going to work, right? Bloody hell, it was genius. Because all of a sudden you had a completely different perspective on what we were doing. Yeah. And it was looking at it from a completely customer perspective. So ask, when, when you speak to John, I mean, he'll, he'll probably get all embarrassed about it, but that was, that was really where, where it really sparked my interest in not employing safety people, but actually employing people who had skill sets with you coupled with adequate knowledge, then you could get a better result. Mm. You know, I mean, it's, it is, and it's about, it's about building a, you know, building a team to successfully, to successfully deliver a, you know an, an, an amazing message you know and it's you know and it's 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 you know it's, you're so it's so right the people that you're talking about there it just you know it makes a it makes real sense and and but it's like you say it's a really brave thing for a you know for a, a business to do to make that jump isn't it? yeah i mean you know i remember having those conversations with uh with with my uh my my, my ceo at that time and the and and, and the board and you could see you know, the, the uncomfortableness and the, the sort of fingering of collars and the wiping of brows and, you know, the sort of sitting back in the chair with the arms being folded about when I said I wanted to bring in all these different people that weren't safety experts. And you, you go, is this guy mad, right? <laughs> is, is this crazy? Um, but over the last couple of years, I think what, what I've proved and, and the value that they can bring and, and how they're developing, because we, we, we the, the other challenge that we have in the, our profession is sometimes we have to do both roles. And I get that, right? And I understand that for most people who will be probably listening to this. They are designers, developers, and executors. Mm -hmm. When you have that luxury to go and use other parts of your organization to help you, 
design and develop stuff, you should do it. Don't be afraid. It might, my, you know, in my world, then I go back to my Cadbury days and I had a great lady working with me in the, uh, what were called the design department who designed all the packaging and all the adverts that you saw on TV. Her name was Maggie. And, and when I wanted to design something or look at it, then I'd go and talk to them. Mm-hmm. You know, I wouldn't go, oh, it's another training course. I just pull out my PowerPoint and go ahead again. I wanted something that was stand up, take notice, do something. So, you know, I would go and speak to Maggie uh, in that department. Or, you know, you'd go and talk to marketing or you'd go and talk to um, innovation or technology, particularly in Vodafone. You know, the design, the design labs and the technology functions in Vodafone, they're brilliant people around how they were engaging with customers. Because at the end of the day, our customers are, you know, the people who are lifting boxes or stacking shelves or, you know, building widgets or filling bags of sand or digging trenches. And it's the user experience that matters a lot. And, and so that sort of reinforced my belief that it was from the bottom, it was user experience and it was acting on user feedback. And if you look at things like, where PDCA started, where quality started, where, you know, um, if you like, agile and and lean thinking started, it's all based on user experience and improving. It's getting a minimal product out there. It's actually then talking to the people who use it. And what we've missed in safety is we've designed these products, our rules, our procedures, our ways of working, and we've just pushed them out and then measured people's compliance against them. And nine times out of 10, what you find is if you go and talk to them, the, the people trying to use these procedures, they'll tell you they're too long, they're too complicated, they don't work, they, live in a re- they don't live in the real world, they live in a perfect world. So we have to do this and that, and we just ignore it. Yep. And if we were to do that and actually apply a little bit more lean thinking, agile thinking in terms of user feedback to explore the problem, we'd get far simpler products that could be used faster, easier, smarter, better, that results in a better outcome for everyone. Mm. And we've missed the opportunity. And, and recently, you know, the last couple of years, that's, that's where my head's been in this whole space of this is about the user, this is about the user, it's about the user. It's not about how intelligent or, or, or you know, how brilliant we can be with writing more safety procedures. Mm. Yeah, the, the 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 people at the, at the at the sharp end as it were you know are the experts they are the people that that know how to do the job they're the, they're the people that are on a daily basis are making some really really fundamental de- decisions um that, that sometimes sometimes they get it wrong um and uh, you know but it's about it's about having their capacity isn't it and the resilience and you know and, and, the, and the business being able to deal being able to deal with people getting things wrong yet people not getting hurt yeah, and, and people get they get uncomfortable, right? So if you're, we got one of our businesses that's, that's that's heavily into lean methodology, and they're making a brilliant job of it, right? Um, but there was a an initial kickback when we started talking about building capacity, because then they said mm, capacity equals redundancy, which equals inventory, which equals more cost, which is not lean. So therefore, you're, you're telling us to go you know, the opposite way. Um, these two things are almost in competition with each other. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, when you stand back and you look at it, and you, uh, you, know, you educate and advise and you show them what, what that actually means, building capacity means in reality. It's about building resilience, mm-hmm. right? And actually, it's not just totally about preventing stuff from going wrong. It's saying, you know, one of the biggest things in lean is reduce waste. One of the biggest wastes is... is is, is when, you, when you get failures. 
and you have downtime, that's probably your biggest customer waste because you're impacting everything. What resilience does and what building capacity does is make sure that when, when you fail, not if, when, you, when things go wrong, you can actually recover smarter, faster, and be back up and running far quicker because you've built that capacity. Therefore, the waste that you, you incur, incur, the customer, you know, sort of the customer downtime you incur is a lot less. So your satisfaction goes up. And, and I think they suddenly looked at this from a different perspective and went, do you know what, you're right. Because if we go lean to the point of failure and we fail, then um, you know, we've got long, long waiting times. Then if we just had a bit of capacity in this, which is not going to seriously impact our program, but makes us more, you know, more, sorry, use the word again, more resilient to constant change. Um, and I, I was speaking at an, um, a virtual HSE network conference, um, I think it was last week or the week before. And one thing I was uh, you know, talking about here is that you know, the only thing now that business is facing challenges that are changing every day uh, and we can't predict and, uh, and prevent all the ways that we can be impacted, you know, whether it's about how organizations can fail or the challenges from an external point of view. You know, who would have predicted COVID in, uh, you know, 12 months ago or even six months ago that we were going to be where we are globally with this? Who knows what's around the corner? Who knows what's coming next? So the repositioning safety away from being compliance about learning and, and learning is one of the, you know, the key things around the whole resilient building organizational resilience. So I think there's, there's just some, some massive opportunities for our profession right now and, and industry to reposition ourselves away from compliance and to, you know, to, to sort of jump, jump into bed almost with our colleagues in learning and, and resilience and, and looking at organization in a different way than we do today. So when you you know you know a lot of businesses get so hung up on on you know on measuring measuring the wrong things don't they you know yeah these <laughs> the rates and 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 things and things like that and and having these these you know zero zero harm and target zero and all that all that stuff what do you as a business I mean because you, you, I'm assuming you do have some measures in your business what what sort of things do you measure to 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 show your success uh, we we use the Gallup Q12 survey. Um, we don't run a separate safety survey because 66% of our agenda, we, we've got three main elements on, on, uh, on our, safety, uh, our safety journey. The one where we're sort of transitioning away from you know, old ways, running on rails, legacy, reductionist theory, compliance driven, more towards learning. And two, two of those three elements are about around people. And so there's basically a couple of questions on that Gallup survey you can glean a lot from around where your, where your organization is. But the one we look at the most is, is a very simple question that says, my manager cares about me. And from a, an employee engagement perspective, from a leadership caring perspective, from measuring how your, your leaders are changing their behavior, not even their thinking, but you know, what they're doing and how they're doing it. You can learn a lot from, from the, 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 uh, the outputs of that question. Now, people will go, yeah, but that doesn't tell me prescriptively exactly where I need to fix. That's transactional leadership. You don't want that. You want to know how people feel. And, and we, had, we have a great return rate. We have 70, 77,000 people globally. We had 63, nearly 63,000 responses. We have a, an over a 90% response rate to our employee survey. So, you know, that's reality, Colin. And they're still telling us, I mean, to be honest, they're still telling us that we could do better, right? Yeah. That, you know, we, in, compared to 
compared to Gallup, we want to, we have ambitions to be in Gallup's what they call the uh, the 75th percentile, right, in mm-hmm. terms of companies. And Gallup have tens of millions of data points from a lot of companies around the world. That question for us is still only at the 50 percentile. You know, so we've still got work to do in that space. It's mm-hmm. improved and it's getting better and our leaders are changing and the way people are thinking about the world of work is changing. But there's always opportunities. So we measure that. First and foremost, and people are going to go, you know, oh my God, so you don't measure accidents. No, we monitor accidents within, yep. the, the, within the safety teams, but we don't, we, we don't put them on scorecards. Um, you know, we don't, if you read our, go and look at our uh, sustainability report for the, for the last year or the previous year, we don't even put the, we, we report the number of people who unfortunately die uh, as a result of the, you know, the work they do for MERSC. But we don't talk about lost time injury rates or frequency rates or anything because means nothing to anybody from outside, right? What we talk about is what we're doing to positively impact things, how we're making our world of work safer, how we're building capacity, what are we doing to change our leaders' behavior, how, what we're doing to lift employee engagement. And then for the board, um, at the highest level, again, you know, we, we do sort of have this, this sort of um, overall um, if you like, fatalities metric that we share with them. But it really is just a matter of fact. It's not a matter of conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what, the, uh, what we do is that we have measures on, on leadership, on building capacity, on an engagement uh, at, a, at a brand level, and that rolls up into where the board is. And the board now asks questions around how's the capacity building going on this? How's that cross-brand project going? What do you need for that? So they're talking about real action and not reacting to something that's already happened in terms of you know the lagging indicators and, 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 and the uh, the histrionics that we've always seen around accident data. And the beauty of that is that they are they are so much more comfortable talking around things in that way. You know, yeah, because that's what they do, isn't it? You know, they're talking about their business. Yeah, you know? and, and it's difficult to to wean them off it because you know the they get seduced by those numbers because we told them, we told them that that was the right thing to measure, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and now we're having to go back and un, they're having to unlearn some things that mm. we, the profession, have, you know, sort of browbeaten them into believing us that this was yeah. the right thing to do. Um, and, and you know what? 20 years ago, it probably was the right thing to do. Mm, but now, right. today, um, yeah. you know, we need to, we need to move on. Uh, I'm not, I'm not, criticizing anybody who says yeah but you know safety one and the old theory reductionist theory and absolutely fine i think we we've arrived here because we've done all that work yeah um but now you know if you want to improve from here then i think it's inevitable that we have to move on and we have to change mm-hmm. um and some people are for it some people are against it but my my final point on this colin is well, who's right and who's wrong is a moot point, right? Yep. Yep. That, that's that's uh, institutional infighting and dis- professional disagreements aren't helping make the world of work a safer place. We should put that aside and have healthy debates around what we need to do to make the world of work a safer place. But remember, we're here to serve everyone else, not to fulfill our own egotistical fantasies. Kevin. That was fantastic. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time. Um, you're you know, we're, we're on the uh, we're on, we're right on the, we're right on time there now. So I'm going to uh, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go. I, I had a load of questions to ask you that uh, that we didn't go near. So I don't know if at some point in the future you'd uh, you'd, you'd like to you'd like to come back on and uh, sure. Chat. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, um, if if you want to get, get somebody else's view, right? But when if you've got something you want to you know bounce back or whatever, then sure, I'm I'm happy to come and talk to you again, Colin, and, and share I'd, some more views. I'd, I'd love. I'll, I'll tell you one of the things that you know I, I work heavily in the quarrying industry, and um, and they've recently gone down the, the, the fatal six route, and I'm, and I see on your website you've got the fatal five, and and I and I'd just like to see how you you know how you how you you know chat with you about how you know I you know I influence that, don't you? Right. Okay. Uh huh. Right. Uh, if you go back um, to the MPA, yeah, way yeah. back in um, 2014, uh, my career started in the quarrying industry. I started with Mansfield Sand. Oh, okay, right, sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I, I was, you know, filling bags of sand and being a technician and taking dust samples for a living mm -hmm. when I was like 18, 19 years old. So, I know your industry. Brilliant. And in 2014, Martin came to me and said, Oh, you know, see, you're doing some great stuff and this, blah, blah. can you come and talk to us about what you've done? Mm. And we, I started talking about building capacity and focus on, you know, what we call shit that kills you, you know. Yeah. Sticky yep. stuff, right? Sticky Shit stuff, that kills yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. And and stop worrying about slips, trips, and falls and stuff. And I said, look, when we started in Maersk, um, in this particular division of Maersk, then there were 38 golden rules. There were 45 procedures. And I basically just said, throw it away. Mm -hmm. Throw it all away. Yeah. And we went down and said, tell me the five things that really matter. And yep. not from a not from a leadership perspective. Go out and ask the guys doing girls doing the job. Yeah. If you're going to die, how are you going to get killed? I'm going to yeah. get run over. I'm going to fall off from when I have to climb this thing. I'm going to get hit by that. Something's going to drop on my head. All these bloody contractors are going to hurt me, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And then we went, okay, let's take those views and let's marry that to what we know about our accident data. And mm. what we found was that 80%, 80% of all our issues were around five of those. And they're the same five things that our people told us. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where the fatal five was born. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, those five things, I think, you know, that you can, you can, you can take those pretty much around the world into any organisation, and you're gonna, you're gonna get a lot of, you know, you're gonna, yeah. you're gonna, you're gonna find it there. But, but I think the whole purpose of that was this whole thing around don't get preoccupied with people, yeah. you know, complying to not holding handrails or you know yeah. wearing their helmet or whatever, right? Worry about the stuff that you can't see. Worry about the stuff that people who are gonna get tangled in conveyors or are gonna, you know, fall mm. off the top of a bloody hopper or be inside a silo when it's getting filled. That's the stuff that's really gonna damage you and kill people. You know, every accept that the minor accidents and injuries are gonna happen until yeah. you get to a point where you can be comfortable never certain but comfortable that the controls you've put in place to manage those big risks are there they're there every day and they're working and they're constantly under review once you've got that then you can turn around and start looking at the other stuff and that's where the fatal five and its concept came from brilliant brilliant hey look now yeah, that's that that is that's really really fascinating and uh, you know i'd love to talk to you in a lot more detail about that right. at, uh, at some point no hey, um, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go. Just just quickly, how how can people get hold of you? Um, you know, if they if they want to hear a bit more. Um, get get hold of me through LinkedIn is the easiest yeah. way. 
Okay. Yeah. So if they want to talk to me some more, then, you know, I'm on LinkedIn, start a conversation with me about stuff. You know, even if you disagree with me, it's fine. Right. I think everybody's entitled to an view and opinion. And um, I'm not saying I know I don't have all the answers. I'm just learning as everybody else is. And I'm very happy to, you know, to have interesting discussions and debates around uh, various things because I learn something from all my colleagues every day. So yeah, please contact me through LinkedIn. Well, I've definitely learned some stuff today, so thank you ever so much for that. Thanks, Thanks. Colin. Okay, bye-bye for now. See you, mate. Take care. Bye-bye. Kevin, thank you so much for your time. Absolutely, uh, absolutely brilliant. Um, I know you're very, very busy, so you know to fit us in for for forty five minutes, I really appreciate that. For me, I think the big takeaways were, were, were what you were talking about about how you need to, as a health and safety professional, be adaptable and be able to 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 respond to to things that are happening, things that are changing in the business. Um, very, very much about looking at health and safety from the customer's perspective, and and our customers are are, are the employees, the people out in the business who are facing a risk on a uh, on a daily basis. Um, you know, so you know, so again, it's about spending time out with those people, finding out what it is that's going on. You know, what are the things that can cause them significant injury or harm, and focus on those. And you know, and and almost something. You know, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say forget about the other stuff, but, but you know, you're going to need to keep an eye on the other stuff. But it's really about spending time looking at the stuff that can cause you real problems. Hey, Kevin, you know, good luck, uh, good luck with your career and, um, you know, thank you ever so much for your time. Speak to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Interesting Health and Safety podcast. You can follow and engage on Facebook and LinkedIn by searching the Interesting Health and Safety community or go to www.influentialmg.com. And remember, let's make health and safety as important as everything else we do in business.